All right, you guys can grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn them on or open them up uh, to Luke chapter 17. That's where we're going to be hanging out tonight in Luke chapter 17. Uh, tonight, we are wrapping up this series that we've been doing on shame called Hello, My Shame Is. Uh, throughout this series, we've, we've given this definition, this understanding of shame, that shame is when we focus on the gap between who we are and who we should be. So when we're here and we think we should be here and we focus on that, that's when we have shame in our life. And so this whole series has been based around this idea of shame and us figuring out how we can handle it. And so tonight, that comes to an end. Uh, Tonight, we're going to wrap up this series. Uh, I'm excited about tonight. It's going to be a little bit different uh, than most nights. It's going to be a little bit heavier than most nights, but don't worry, in a good way. I would say in in a great way, actually. Uh, But tonight is going to be a little bit different as we just kind of tie a bow on this series and just kind of take a final step in what we need to do. So again, we'll be in Luke chapter 17, um, beginning with verse, well, not yet, sorry, we won't be there yet. So, but we'll be beginning in verse, um, I think it's 11 or so. Anyway, we'll get there in a second. Um, but yeah, we'll be in Luke 17 tonight as we wrap up the series. So tonight, we are talking about something called leprosy. Uh, many of you probably have heard that phrase before, especially you grew up in the church, um, but for us to, to really understand what's going on in our story, what we have to do is have a better understanding of what it was like in the first century in Palestine when somebody got leprosy. All right, so imagine that you are a 12-year-old kid in the first century living in Palestine, and you are living this amazing life, right? You got the best family in the world. That the highlight of your week is every Saturday after synagogue, your whole family, your cousins, your aunts, and your uncles, they come over to your house. You guys sit and you have, you have dinner together. And without fail, every single week, your grandparents tell these crazy and hilarious stories about what life was like when they were growing up. And you sit there in that moment with your family, with those that you love the most, you don't feel more at home than you do each Saturday night. But not only do you have the greatest best family in the world, you also have the best friends in the world. And these friends who you get to hang out with every day, I mean, it is the funnest moments of your life when you're with them. I mean, you have so much joy. You're so happy when you're getting to hang out with them, especially when you get to stay up late at night. You become delirious. Everything anybody says is funny, right? We've all been there. We get you. We know what you mean, right? That's a highlight of your life, not just your week, is being able to spend that time with that family. You have the best friends in the world. But you also have the best parents in the world too. And your mom, man, she gives the best hugs. I mean, she's like Baymax from Big Hero 6, just wrapping around you and just bringing it in, right? A little warm thing that he does, right? That's what it feels like when your mom hugs you. I mean, you have the best dad in the world too. Because when you're hanging out with him, he's just constantly talking about how proud he is of you. And even in public, when it's slightly embarrassing because there's with strangers and they have no idea what he's talking about, right? He, in that moment, he talks about how proud he is of you. And so you're living just this great life. In fact, you're about to turn 13. And that's exciting because you get to do more errands with your dad as you help him with the family business. But one afternoon, you're you're walking over to your friend's house. You're you're going there to tell them about the sleepover that you're doing because of your birthday coming up. And as you're You're walking towards the house on the outside of the city. You look up beyond the city walls and you see something strange on the hill. And and you can't help but stare because you've never seen anything like this in your life. Because on top of that hill, making his way down is a man 
whose face is cracking and splitting apart like the ground outside your house during a drought. And his nose is completely gone. In fact, it almost looks like it has sunken into his face like some kind of sinkhole. And as he wakes, makes his way down this hill to get to this pot of water on the bottom, his leg is so twisted and so messed up that you're just waiting for it to snap off every single time he takes a step. And as he gets to the bottom of this hill, he reaches down to this puddle of muddy water, and his hands are so curled up, they look like two claws. Like something you would hear about in a story that you tell your siblings when they're bothering you and you want them to go away. And he bends down and he takes a drink of this. And as you're sitting there watching this guy, you are totally freaking out. I mean, you were scared to death because you've never seen anything like this before. And your heart is racing faster and faster every single step that he takes. And so your mom grabs you, right, and it scares you. And she tells you to stop staring. So you turn away, you're right, you focus, and you just kind of keep walking. But as she looks down and she sees the terror in your eyes, she starts to explain to you who that guy is. That he's a leper. And he has this disease that causes him to look the way that he does. And because he's a leper, he's, he's considered unclean. And so because of that, he has to live on the other side of the hill, outside the city, with all the other lepers. And as she's saying this, you're remembering that a few weeks ago at your synagogue, your rabbi talked about leprosy, and he talked about Miriam and the book of Numbers, who was Moses' sister. And how Miriam got struck with leprosy because she did something bad. And so since you don't really have a good understanding of how diseases work, you assume that everybody who has leprosy must have done something horrible. So as you turn around and take one last look at this guy from over the hill, you think to yourself, what horrifying things has he done to cause him to look like that? So you don't really think much about the man from the other side of the hill. A few days go by, and you wake up one morning, and you notice that there's a spot on your arm. It's kind of weird. You don't usually wake up with spots on your arm, so you kind of say something to your mom about it, and she says, oh, don't worry about that, honey. It's probably just a bug bite. You're totally fine. Um, she just kind of blows it off. And so you go on, and a couple of days later, you wake up and you notice that that one spot has turned to multiple spots on, on your right arm and also on your left arm. And you notice they don't look like bug bites anymore. Instead, what they look like are blisters. And so you get up to, to rush and tell your mom what's happening. And the whole time you're walking there, your leg feels like it's asleep and it's not waking up. As so you get to your mom, you show her the spots, you mention your leg, and, and she kind of blows it off again as if it's not really a big deal. But although she seems like it's not a big deal, she acts totally different. Because all of a sudden, when you're going to bed at night, you notice your mom's not giving you the Baymax type of hugs that you've enjoyed from her. Instead, so she's kind of giving you the side friend hug, making sure there's enough room for the Holy Spirit between kind of idea happening. And then one night you go to bed and your heart absolutely breaks because your mom doesn't give you a hug or touch you at all. And your dad's acting just as weird. Instead of allowing you to run errands with him like he used to, he tells you you have to stay in the house unless it's dark and you always have to wear things to cover 
your hands and your feet, even though it's the middle of the summer. And then without even telling you, he cancels your sleepover birthday party, which is absolutely devastating to you because you're used to seeing your friends every single day and you've not seen them in weeks. But the most crushing moment of this whole ordeal was the one one Saturday afternoon, your parents make you stay upstairs, away from your family, and you sit there alone by yourself hearing the laughter and the fun that everybody else is having. And as you sit there and you see that these spots on you are beginning to spread all across your body, the fear inside of you also spreads as you start to think maybe something seriously is wrong with you. And then one night that fear becomes a reality. You're in so much pain, you can't sleep, and, and you hear your parents having a conversation downstairs. So you peek down to kind of see what's happening, and you hear your dad telling your mom that he doesn't have a choice anymore. Everybody's starting to ask questions about you. And now it's getting to the point that everybody in your family is starting to be at risk. And he tells your mom that, that you need to go, that you can't stay at the house anymore. And as, as the words are leaving your, your father's mouth, your mom collapsed to the floor. And as your dad catches her, she begins to sob as she says, God, please no, God, please no. Why is this happening to my baby? So you turn back up the stairs, you have tears going through your eyes. And all you can think about is what horrible thing have you done to cause this to happen to you? But as you rack your brain trying to figure out what it is, nothing comes to your mind. And so you lie sleepless in that bed that night, dreading what's going to happen to you in the morning. And you don't know if it's the fear or the disease at this point that is causing your body to be completely numb. So right before daybreak, your dad comes into your room. And he finally admits that something is wrong with you. And he says, because something is wrong with you, you're going to have to go away for a long time. So he takes you and you begin to walk out of the house and as it really begins to sink in that you don't know if you're ever gonna see your family and your friends again, the weight of that begins to make you unable to walk. So your dad helps you up and you continue to make your way outside and as you're walking towards the city gate, it finally hits you what's about to happen. And so in a last ditch effort, as you're panicking, you grab your dad's arm. He says, God, dad, please no, take me back. I promise you I haven't done anything wrong. I promise you there's nothing that I've done to cause this to happen. Please bring me home. Please bring me home. But your dad, who used to be so quick to verbalize how proud he was of you, remains completely silent. And he pulls his hand away. And fighting back tears, he continues to walk to the outside of the city. And as the sun starts to rise in the distance, you see on this hill 
a figure, and as you get closer, you realize it's the man from the other side of the hill coming down that you saw a month earlier. But you know this time he's not coming down to get water. He's coming down to get you. I mean, that story illustrates the awful process that someone could go to during this time when they had leprosy. I mean, becoming a leper was no job. They took this so seriously during this time. And although there were a number of different skin diseases that connect to leprosy, the result of each of them was the same. It was separation from family and it was isolation from society. And you can imagine during this time when people don't, didn't understand diseases and stuff the way that we do, how they could easily make the mistake of assuming that somebody who was a leper was being punished by God. And so you brought disgrace upon yourself and you brought disgrace upon your family when you had this disease. And so as we jump into Luke chapter 17, what we're gonna see is that this is the life of 10 people in our story. This is the life that 10 people are leaving when Jesus decides to come and to visit their village. So let's begin reading in Luke chapter 17 together, beginning with verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, being Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So we see from Luke that the first people to meet Jesus when he comes to these town are these 10 lepers. And if you're one of these 10 people in this story, you're being used throughout your life and throughout this disease of being referred to as a leper. Because as our story alludes to, and when you have leprosy, your disease is your identity. I mean, that's how people classified you. That's how people saw you and that's how people identified you. In fact, what's interesting is Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is hanging out at a house and it says of Simon the leper, right? Like that's who he is. Like that's how people identify him is based upon this disease. But as you're sitting there and you see this man walking up as one of these lepers, you experience a sense of hope that you haven't had in a long time. Because see, you've heard these stories about this miracle worker. You've heard these stories about this guy named Jesus. And so when you see him walking, you think to yourself, this is your chance. Right? This is your chance to get your life back. This is your chance to finally get back home. But of course, when Jesus comes up, you keep a distance, right? That's what it says. These people kept a distance from him because they knew that because of this disease, they had to be separated from people. See, I don't think the worst part about being a leper was the disease. I think the worst part about being a leper was the separation from the people that you love the most, right? right? No longer getting that hug from your mom before you go to bed tonight, right? No longer staying up with your friends and laughing and having a good time, right? Those days were over. And so when Jesus comes to town, we see that they keep themselves at a distance because naturally they assume if they have to be away from other people they know and other people they love, they assume that the exact same thing is true about Jesus. And so they stay in their lane. They keep their distance as they see him coming towards the village. 
You see, why we're talking about this tonight and why I love this passage so much is because you see so many great parallels between leprosy and shame, don't you? Because see, like leprosy, our shame can become our identity. It can be how other people label us and it can be how we even identify ourselves. Right, like leprosy, as we've talked about in this series, our shame can cause us to distance ourselves from others. Right, we can keep people at an arm's length as we wonder to ourselves, what if they knew? What if they knew those things about me that nobody else knows? And we see also, like leprosy, our shame can cause us to keep Jesus at a distance as well. Because we can't imagine why anybody like Jesus wouldn't want to be close with somebody like me. Right? Somebody who's unclean, somebody who's dirty, right? I mean, that's what we've talked about all throughout this series. And so we see this correspondence with leprosy and with shame. So if we see this connection, then it's important that we look at this next verse because we see something amazing in what happens next. Because when we go to verse 14, this is what we read. When he, Jesus, saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed, right? So this is a huge moment if you're a leper in this story. Because you've cried out to Jesus, right? You've shouted at him. You've, you've screamed out to him from a distance and he hears what you say and he has chosen to listen to you. And in this moment, Jesus has given you what you begged for. He has healed you. Your leprosy is now completely gone, right? And because it's completely gone, he tells you to go to the priest because according to Leviticus chapter 14, you have to go through this process to be declared officially cleansed. And so you are freaking out in this moment right here because Jesus has just shown up and done something that was absolutely impossible. He has miraculously healed you, which means he has given you your life back. Right now, you can experience that hug from your mom that you've missed for so many years. You can now experience that laughter and that friendship that you've had with those people that you've missed for so long. In this moment, Jesus has given you your life back. He has chosen to heal you. And so now your leprosy, it doesn't label you anymore. Right now your leprosy doesn't cause you to be at a distance from other people. And now your leprosy is not how you have to identify yourself anymore. Because Jesus has cleansed you, because Jesus has healed you, this disease, it doesn't determine what you do and it doesn't determine who you are. Just like our shame, right? Because where these lepers are in this story is exactly where we are in this series, isn't it? This is, how we have, this is where we have arrived in the last four weeks that we spent our time together. We've arrived at this point to realize that Jesus has healed us and Jesus has cleansed us. And so because of that, we don't have to feel shame anymore. Because if you remember, the first week we came together, we, we found ourselves asking this difficult question. The question was, how do we deal with the, sh the shame that we can't erase? Right? How do we deal with that? And that night we took the first step and we talked about this idea that shame is not overcome by perfection, but perspective. That's where we landed that night. 
And so the whole question became, okay, so then what is the right perspective that we have about our shame? And so the last three weeks, we spent our time talking about that. Because the second week together, we talked about sin. We looked at the woman who washes Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 7. Remember the one that Simon refers to and labels as a sinner? And through that story, what we found out is that the right perspective of sin is that I am labeled by his action, not my actions. And then the next week, we spent time talking about repentance. And we talked about how the right perspective of repentance is realizing that it's not something that's shameful, but it's something that's expected. We looked at 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we looked at David's life, and even after he committed those sins, he was still able to come before God and repent. And we see that our shame, or excuse me, our repentance isn't shameful because we're broken. And so we need God to fix us. And so we ended that night by talking about how repentance is regret realized. And so once our regret becomes real, we're able to deal with it. And we can do that unshamefully because it's expected in our lives as broken people in need of their God to fix them. And then last week, we talked about the right perspective of grace. And we looked at the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And we talked about how the right perspective of grace is that even though we deserve the Samaritan treatment, right? Even though we deserve for God to avoid us, he chooses to give us what we need instead. And he chooses to give us eternal life. And we talked about this idea that we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve this eternal life, but if it's grace, you don't deserve it. And so that was the amazing that reality we got to last week is that if you deserve it, it's not grace. And so that's where we've landed throughout this series. And one thing that we've seen all throughout this series is a common thread and a common connection that links all of these together. And what we've seen is that common connection is the cross. What Jesus did on Calvary, what Jesus does in our place is what ties all of this together. When he chose to step into human history and to take our sin and to take our shame upon himself and to die on a cross. And then he rose from the dead so that we could be given our life back that we lost in the garden. So that we could be given salvation. So that we could be cleansed and so that we could be healed. And that is huge. Because we go back and make this full circle and we look at the question, how do we deal with the shame that we can't erase? Right? How can we deal with those things in our life that we can't erase? The question becomes is we keep our eyes on the cross. Right? That's the answer to that question is that we keep our eyes on the cross. Because by remembering what Jesus has done, that gives us the right perspective. Right? And the perspective is the key to overcoming shame in our life. And the right perspective is keeping our eyes on the cross. Because at the cross that we see that we're not labeled by our actions, but we're labeled by his action when he was willing to die in our place and to give us the forgiveness that we so desperately need. And we see that it's at the cross that repentance isn't shameful. Instead, it's expected, which is why we need a savior to come and to die for us because we're broken and we need help. And it's at the cross that we see that even though we deserve eternal death away from God. In his grace, he chooses to give us eternal life instead. 
And so what we've seen all throughout this series is the right perspective is connected to the cross. And that we choose to keep our eyes on Jesus because by keeping our eyes on the cross, we keep our eyes off the gap. And when perspective is everything, that's huge. Because when we have the perspective that our shame is something that is still there, right? It still belongs to us. That we still have to fill it in our life, right? If that's the idea, then we're gonna focus on the gap. But when we understand the cross, we don't focus on the gap, we focus on what Jesus has done for us, right? So that's where we've landed, right? That's where we are in this series is that we've seen that our shame is something that we no longer have to experience anymore. Our shame is a weight, that we no longer have to bear. Because of the cross, we've been cleansed and we've been healed just like the lepers in this story. That's the amazing reality that we've spent four weeks looking at. But here's the thing. We're not done. We could stop here. In fact, nine out of the 10 lepers choose to stop at this point. But there's that one guy, that one guy who decides to do something. And because his story isn't over, neither is ours, right? Because this one guy, he understood how he had been healed, right? And he understood how this healing was important, that it was amazing. And he understood that this healing was necessary in his life. But he also realizes something else. That healing is incomplete. That there's something else that needs to take place after he'd been healed. And guys, when it comes to our shame, that's the true for us as well. Right? All throughout this series, we focused on what Jesus has done for us, and rightly so. How because he has taken our sin upon himself, we have been cleansed and we have been healed. And so because of that, we no longer have to bear the weight of shame in our life, which means we no longer have to feel shame. And that's amazing and that's important and that's necessary, but it's also incomplete. And it's incomplete because we now need to do something based upon what God has done for us. It's incomplete because now it's our time to respond to the fact that Jesus has cleansed us and he has healed us. And we no longer have to deal with our leprosy. And so what this one leper does in this story shows us what we need to do tonight. Because what we see in the last two verses that we're looking at together, that at any moment, We'll be making their way to the screen. All right, there they are, okay. <laughs> it says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Guys, this is it. This is what we need to do tonight, is we need to give Jesus thanks based upon what he's done for us. 
Because as all the other nine lepers are running to the priest, right, running to get the thumbs up so they can go back to their family and go back to their friends and go back to that life that they need to go to, this guy chooses not to do that. Instead, he stops. And he turns around and he goes back to Jesus. And I think he does this because he realizes the gravity is what has happened in his life. I mean, can you imagine all the different thoughts that are going through his head when he looks at himself, sees that he's been cleansed, and then chooses to go back to Jesus? How overwhelmed he would be with gratitude, knowing that he can see his family and his friends again. How his heart would be almost busting inside of him, knowing that he can finally get his life back. And that he no longer has to live as an outcast. And see, this guy gets where the other nine don't. He understands how big of a deal this is. He understands how big of a deal that it is that Jesus has healed him. And now he can go back to everything that he once loved. He understands the weight of the moment. And we see that his thankfulness is obvious as he runs back, falls down at Jesus' feet, and thanks him. And so tonight, guys, we need this moment. We need a moment to make our thankfulness obvious. We need a moment when we realize the weight of what God has done when it comes to our shame. That because Jesus took it upon himself, we no longer have to feel it in our lives. That when other people labeled us because of our shame, Jesus didn't. That when other people wanted nothing to do with us because of our shame, Jesus did. And when we felt like our shame hurt and hindered our relationship with God, Jesus went to a cross and bled in our place to show us that it doesn't have to. So tonight, we need to make our thankfulness obvious to God as we realize that our shame has been cleansed and that we've been healed of our leprosy. And so tonight, that's what we're gonna do. So if you have your phone, open up the notes app. If you have a piece of paper, you can grab that as well. But right now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take time to write a thank you note to God. We're gonna take time to thank God for what he's done throughout this series, how he's cleansed us and he's healed us. And because of that, we don't have to deal with shame anymore. So if this is your, your first time with us tonight and you're just still kind of soaking in what's happening right now, don't, don't feel like you have to, to write about your shame. Just feel free to thank God for what is happening and what he's done for you. And if you're here with us tonight and, and you're not a Christian, hey, thanks for hanging out with us. My encouragement to you is just sit there and just kind of take all this in. But if you have a piece of paper and you have a phone, 
what we're gonna do right now is just go before God and thank him for what he's done for us. So think about the shame in your life and think about how God died on a cross so that you no longer have to feel it. So let's take some time to do that and then I'll close us out in prayer. Father God, I just thank you that tonight we can make our thankfulness obvious to you. That like the former leper in our story, we can fall before you and worship you and thank you that you have cleansed us. That those things in our past, God, that we wish we could take back, that those things in our past, God, that we feel like plague us when we go to sleep at night, God, those things in our past that make us feel like that we're damaged goods, Father, we see that those things have been taken to the cross. And we no longer have our leprosy. 
that Jesus, you have cleansed us. You have healed us. And now we can thank you. And now we can fall before you as those who have been washed, who have been cleansed, who have been healed. And so that's my prayer, God, is that right now we will praise you and worship you. As the former leper that came back, as he fell at your feet, Jesus, and thank you, we see that as he did that, he praised God. And so right here, right now, in this moment, as we sing these songs, as we worship you, because you are a God who removes the things in our life that bring us shame, we can worship you and we can thank you. May we do that right here and right now for your glory and for your renown. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.